BYU Sports Nation is back to work from the comforts of home. Your day-to-day play-by-play in Studio B presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Hope you're enjoying your Wednesday, May 20th. We are almost to June, wherever and however you're connected. Great to have you with us. I am Spencer Linton, teamed up with a man who is seriously considering taking on a new last name of Skywalker, Jerem Jordan. Listen, you watched the, what was it called? I can't remember the name of the movie. Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker. I got Baby Yodes, by the way, going on here. Um, Yeah, you you finally saw it. Um, I liked some parts of it. I was left wanting quite a bit. What did you think? I just wanted more Carrie Russell. Uh, We saw her eyes underneath the helmet, but I thought at some point, is she going to take the helmet off? That's like number one on a list of like 30 things that I would like. That's number one. Okay. You know. (laughs) I don't know, random order, whatever. I was entertained, though. I'd heard so many differing opinions about it that I kind of went into it with zero expectations, and that's a good way to go into watching a movie because – And a BYU football season. After I was done, I was entertained. Yeah, (laughs) I was entertained. We're always hoping for ten wins with BYU football. Maybe we should just expect seven, and then if we get eight or nine, we'll be like, sweet. We just ask ourselves, were we entertained, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Expectations. I'm glad you finally saw it. I watched it in Hawaii uh, during our, our trip to the Hawaii Bowl, and so here we are. Better late than never. <laughs> now it's almost summer. <laughs> here is today's show lineup. Blaine Fowler. I'm talking to him forever. Uncle B is going to discuss the 1983 and 84 football teams with us. This on the heels of us doing a 1983 reviewables where uh, we said, and I specifically said some pretty bold things. We're going to get his opinions on that. The best to ever wear number 14. Are you buying, selling, or holding on Mark Pope, helping a prominent comic move his career forward just with the basketball and an unbelievable feat in the history of BYU baseball? All of that said, here are today's BYU Sports Nation headlines. Notre Dame announces changes to its fall academic schedule. It will begin two weeks earlier than normal, starting August 1st, and end before Thanksgiving with no fall break. I didn't know that was a thing as a BYU student. Notre Dame also plans to have comprehensive testing, social distancing, and mask requirements for students and faculty. So Notre Dame trying to make the move to get people back on campus in a safe way eventually. For one, I love the idea of finishing school before the major holiday season. And, yeah, double down. If it makes everybody healthier, let's go. Yeah, if you can get students on campus and we can have some semblance of, uh, you know, normality with masks and being safe, then, yeah, we're going to figure this out. Along the lines of the coronavirus front across the United States, the governor of California has announced that professional sporting events may reopen within the state as early as the first week of June. So we're talking like less than two weeks. Whoa. He did add the following details. Spectators will not be allowed to attend these events, which will include modifications and prescriptive conditions. So it's probably going to be on lockdown, but sporting events, and if we can televise them, oh, please. Texas and their governor has also added to the conversation saying that around that same time, they may implement a similar situation. And how about New York? which has just been bombarded by COVID-19. They have also expressed the desire to have pro sports back without fans, and the governor has offered his state support. So it's one thing to hear it from a state like Utah, where things haven't been as bad per capita. New York and California, we're approaching some new grounds, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to hear that these developments are happening. 
Yeah, now the question becomes, when is it going to be possible for fans to be at sporting events? Um, is that when we have a vaccine? Are we talking a year from now? I mean, it, it might be a long time. This is certainly a unique time in the world's history now. Oh, no question. Uh, and that's why we're here. That's, that's why we're doing the things that we're doing. Um, that said, we wish the best to New York and California and the entire states and the world for that matter. Everybody is dealing with this in some way or fashion. It's, it is so unique that way. Headline three, BYU softball's Taylor Williams named to the 2020 COSIDA academic all district team, something I was never considered for, but you were Spencer. Uh, she has a three, nine, three GPA as well uh, as an exercise and wellness major on the field. She, uh, Williams was sixth in sack flies, 10th in stolen base percentage in BYU history. So on and off the field, she's getting it done. Well done, Taylor. And by the way, she got married amidst the pandemic and had a drive-by reception as cars waved at the happily met wedded couple. So different, man. Crazy. Unbelievable stuff. All rise and shout. It's time for What's Trending. Jerem, The Athletic released uh, a tweet and an idea that got our minds thinking about the biggest what-ifs within BYU sports. Now, what is, and there are so many huge storylines of if you just make one little change, then maybe everything becomes so very different. But what is the biggest what-if within BYU football specifically? Yeah, football is interesting. Basketball, I think we'd all agree it's what if Brandon Davies had played all season. Would BYU have gone to the national title game like Butler and faced Duke? And would BYU have gone to its first Final Four, right? Um, But in BYU football, there's a gajillion. One thing I want to know, and we'll go over a massive list here, but 2001, if Luke Staley doesn't break his leg, does BYU beat Hawaii and do they go to a better bowl game? They're not going to the Fiesta Bowl. They already knew that prior to going to Hawaii. But would they have been invited to the Fiesta Bowl if Luke Staley was healthy? Would BYU have been the original BCS buster? Not Utah in 04, right? Would they have had their second undefeated season? Would they have a second undefeated season? Exactly. Um, That's one that really comes to mind. And I have a big list, but I want to hear yours. My what if goes back five years previous. What if 1996 BYU football, that loaded team that went 14-1, Wins at Washington. There's no debacle in the locker room before the game about what color socks they're going to wear and that they're going to be a team. They're white on white. They should have worn navy. The uniform situation. What if there's no debacle? They go out, they're focused, and they beat Washington, Jerem, and BYU finishes 15-0 in 1996. What if they figure out a way to win at Husky Stadium in Seattle? Then is BYU a legitimate national championship contender in 1996? They finished number five, and that was with the one loss, albeit it was early in the season. But if BYU runs the table and they become the first team to ever win 15 games in a season, how do you deny them at least an idea of being in the conversation to be worthy of playing in the national championship? It would have been hard because in the Sugar Bowl, it was Florida, Florida State, and the Rose Bowl was Ohio State, Arizona State. Those are all teams in the top five. I, I just – we've talked about this before. To go undefeated is special, but you have to have the right season. 84 was special because no one else was undefeated. And you, you look around and BYU's the only one, and they had built up to that point the previous couple of years. So you have to do it in the right year. Like Utah in 04 – that, it's always good to go undefeated, but it was a bad year to go undefeated. 
because there were three other undefeateds going yeah, into the bowl season, right? It, yeah, it, it just it just kind of depends, right? And Auburn was right left out of that. They were the third team there. So, yeah, that, that's a good question. Okay, here's some others on my list. What if in 1979, BYU's 11-0, they're playing Lee Corso, coached Indiana in the Holiday Bowl. What if Brent Johnson makes the field goal at the end of the game and BYU goes undefeated in 79? They would have finished, you know, uh, top 10 for the first time. It would have been the first undefeated season in BYU history. I wonder that one. How about 83? We talked about in the reviewables. What if BYU had beaten Baylor to start the season and gotten undefeated? Then to the what back-to-back national championships? Yeah, it, I don't think they would have won that year either. But, like, just establishing the program and not having these one last years, although those were great. What if Taysom Hill never had a season-ending injury in 2014? Uh, you knew this was going to come up. We've talked about this one. And I, it, because BYU's 4-0, they're ranked as high as 19th. They're hosting Utah State. When Taysom Hill goes down, they're down 14. So are they going to come back in that game is one question. But BYU only played three power fives and didn't play Utah that year. The, the stage was set to do something special. And I always use this as a counter argument in the schedule's too hard conversation. I say, you didn't complain about how weak 2014 schedule was and how BYU was top 20. No one was going, well, we haven't played anybody. BYU played Virginia. They stunk. This is pre-Bronco Virginia. They end up playing Cal and beating them. Jared Goff, who's a sophomore, after the next season, he's the number one pick to the Rams. And then I'm trying to remember who the first – oh, Texas. And then Texas, of course. So, yeah, what if – would Taysom Hill have been the, uh, you know, number five in the Heisman voting? Would he have made it to New York like Jordan Lynch did with Northern Illinois a year later or something? Good grief. What if Taysom Hill doesn't break his foot and hurt the Liz Frank against Nebraska in 2015? And that BYU team was pretty good too, 9-4 and four with a freshman Tanner Mangum coming in in relief. There's no way that that game at Nebraska goes down to the wire if Taysom Hill is healthy and playing the whole game. I think BYU would win that game by 7 to 10 points on the road if he's healthy and doing the thing because that offense was working. And Steve Young said uh, in one of our previous interviews, when I watched Taysom Hill in the first half against Nebraska, I legitimately thought he's going to win the Heisman. Oh, my gosh. That's like such a goggle take. But I, I agree, like, oh, he's on his way to doing something special. He could have had a, you know, 300-100 kind of game. That It could have been that way. Yeah, Taysom Hill's whole career is a what-if, right? His whole career. We yeah, didn't yeah. see him as an upperclassman finish the season. He got to get the end of game 12 uh, as, a, as a senior in 2016, and then he goes out. That's crazy. Okay, another one. What if Gifford Nielsen doesn't break his leg in 77 at Oregon State? Because yeah. – Gifford yeah. is on his way. By the way, prior to that season, BYU, uh, the Fiesta Bowl is going to be on Sunday. They had already said, we're not going to play if we win the WAC. And so what happens is, all of a sudden in 78, the Holiday Bowl pops up. That sort of came out of this need for the WAC to help BYU out. But Gifford Nielsen, he's not going to win the Heisman because I think Earl Campbell won the Heisman. But Gifford might have been the greatest quarterback in BYU history. And he, he might have been up to that point. But if he doesn't... Sports Illustrated flew to Corvallis to do a cover story on him. He breaks his leg and BYU loses. The next week, Mark Wilson throws seven touchdowns, and everyone's like, oh, this is good. By the way, he throws six picks the next game. No, Everyone forgets that part. And they still but, won. And they still won, which is crazy. Ten yeah. to seven at Wyoming. <laughs> yeah. Um, at Cougazool, uh, Jake Edmonds, our, our buddy. What if Riley Nelson hit a wide-open Cody Hoffman at Notre Dame? You were in the stands for that game. 2012, Notre Dame's undefeated. They're top – Two or three, right? Yeah, they're ranked in the top five for sure. BYU played so well that game, and 
essentially shut down a pretty good Notre Dame offense and had plenty of opportunities. Cody Hoffman was so open. In fact, when Riley Nelson threw the ball, where I was sitting and standing at the time, I thought he, he could have walked into the end zone. He was so open and so alone. And so I was celebrating when Riley Nelson was cocking his arm back to throw the ball. And then it just came out, and it was way off. Oh. I was just kind of like, what are you doing? Yeah. What happened? That was fourth down, and the game was over. It's like, ah. Oh. But, yeah, you know what? What if BYU wins that game? And they beat Notre Dame, and they get a signature win. And, I mean, Notre Dame doesn't play in the national championship that year. If BYU well, wins. that would have been good for all of us because that was a terrible watch against Alabama. Um, yeah, Lene Kakua did not show up in that game at all for Notre Dame. Okay, um, at Jimmy17356, James, what if Washington decided to play BYU in the 84 Holiday Bowl? So Washington plays in what? The Orange Bowl, I think? Against uh, Oklahoma. Yeah. So Washington claims that, no, they deserve the national championship, right? And next year they play in Provo and BYU just lays down the smackdown. It's the next year, but that would have been nice. Listen, if they wanted to play, they could have, right? The Holiday Bowl had this sort of open invite. It wasn't, like, locked in. Because think about it. The year before, BYU's playing Missouri at, a, at the time, what, the Big Eight? Is that where Missouri was from, And the, I think? And then all of a sudden, it's Big Ten. Tennessee was in the mix from the SEC. So was yeah. it, like, just – it was at large? It was WAC champ versus at large? Tennessee was, like, this close to playing BYU in the Holiday Bowl. They weren't in the top 25, though. That's not, like, a great game. Um, and Michigan. And Michigan wasn't a great game. No, but Michigan was the first team that came forward and said, yes, we'll play. It works out. The, the invitation was extended to a ton of top-level teams. They wanted no part of BYU because they didn't want to play before Christmas and not play in a New Year's Day bowl game. And I, I don't know. I can understand that, but don't complain about not playing BYU then. Yeah. Oh, that BYU won? Played? I mean, yeah. BYU was willing and ready to play anybody. In fact, they were hoping that one of these top-level teams would say yes to the invitation just so that they could – validate the season a little bit more because they felt like they could beat anybody and uh, Michigan was the first team that made it work okay here's a list of uh good things that happened what if they didn't happen okay we the reverse what if Clay Brown doesn't catch the Hail Mary in 80 (laughs) then BYU doesn't have the greatest moment in BYU football history they don't steal, uh, you know, that bowl game and win one, and LaBelle can't win a bowl game, right? Yeah, that, that was, was the their first bowl victory, and that's right. And you, went, you were talking about Mark Wilson. If BYU makes the field goal against Indiana, then that's not a thing. LaBelle's right, won this right. bowl game. It's done. Yes. Okay, what if BYU didn't beat Miami in 90? No Heisman for Ty? I don't um, think no top five ranking. They got his highest four. Yeah. What if Comrell misses the tackle at, at Hawaii, or he, he jumps early? And they get a first down. They get an offside penalty. Hawaii does. <laughs> game 18 to 13. And uh, I, I want to go back and watch it again just so I can figure out because who knows what situation would have been presented. Just BYU could get Hawaii. the ball and go score. Yeah, yeah, had Hawaii scored. It's not like BYU couldn't get it and they didn't have the offense to go and be able to do something. But yeah. still, it, it's interesting. Like if Hawaii wins again, the then BYU definitely doesn't win, you know, the national championship. Yeah, what if, what if there's no back to Harleen? What, five in a row for Utah? Now that's the big streak then. And, and maybe in 07, you don't believe that it's going to – I don't know. What if Lavelle Edwards took the Detroit Lions job in 80, after 84? Yeah, who would have been the coach for BYU in 1984? Would it have been Norm Chow? Probably. 
Yeah. I mean, later Norm doesn't get the job, and, and he becomes quite disenchanted with BYU later. And right? they're playing in Norm Chow Stadium and not Lavelle Edwards Stadium? <laughs> <laughs> there would be no Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Exactly. It would, it would be just Cougar Stadium still. What if exactly. BYU doesn't go independent in 2011? Oh, boy. Yeah, well, see, I have one written down. What if BYU went to the Big East? <laughs> would the Big East exist in football? Yeah. What, what, Does it have what would happen? Boise State, BYU, some of the American. Would BYU be in a better competitive spot? Competitive, yes, but not probably financially. And what if Taysom Hill went to Stanford originally instead of transferring? Then it's Tanner Mangum and Christian Stewart at BYU, right? C. Stu for a full season would have been interesting because that dude had the last – Greg. Greg Rebell tweeted this out. The last 25 touchdown season at BYU. 25 touchdown passes in nine games. Is that even hard? 25 touchdowns. Is that even hard? Come on. Let's go. Apparently apparently it is. I'm still kind of freaking out about the whole Norm Chow Stadium situation. (laughs) Norm Chow Stadium. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's the name of this episode it's, it's, it's like over religious. yeah it's over coming up a five time NBA all-star who wore number 14 is he even the best to wear 14 in BYU history Ooh, and Uncle B Blaine Fowler joins the program was 1983 a better team than 1984 we already know how I feel about it how does Blaine feel about it he played on both of those teams he's BYU Sports Nation BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. On the latest voiceover with Greg and Shep, the guys talk with Kalani Sataki about how likely a college football season is, new staff assignments, and how the NFL views players from the Y. Watch it on the BYU TV Sports YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and IG account. Just do it. This is BYU Sports Station, your day-to-day BYU sports play-by-play team alongside Jerem Jordan. I'm Spencer Linton. It is our absolute pleasure now to welcome in longtime friend, dual threat analyst, all-around good guy, Uncle B, Blaine Fowler. Oh, yeah, he's a national champion as well. Back to the program. Blaine, it's great to have you back on BYU Sports Nation. How are you? I'm good. I feel like we haven't seen each other forever. Well, and now we're only seeing each other via electronic means, but that's okay. It's better than nothing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, how is life for you? I mean, we're two months plus after the no sports and everything getting shut down. So uh, what's your day-to-day like, man? It's, a, it's very different for me because, uh, as you guys know, during basketball season, I'm on the road almost every week. And from December through March, through the beginning, I went straight from the, um, the WCC tournament to the Atlantic 10 tournament. I've been on 27 flights. And they, they canceled the A-10 tournament after we had introduced the players out on the floor at the Barclays Center, we got a call down to the scores table, and they said, take them off the floor. We're not playing. We pulled them off the floor, went into studio, did a two-hour show on COVID-19 and its impact on college athletics. They put me in a car, sent me to the airport. Nobody in line at the security line at JFK. I flew home on a flight with three people on it, and I haven't been on a flight since, and that mm. was in early March. And so life for me now has been a series of, Zoom meetings and Microsoft team meetings. And I do a lot of sitting at my desk and talking via electronic means. Um, But one thing I have done, because I can't stand that, I'm like trying to work out really early every day and really late every day. So twice a day workout. So I'm going to be in shape by the time we get back playing football. (laughs) That's good for you because that's not the case for me. Uh, (laughs) 
Let's, let's talk about something we did recently, Blaine. We did an entire show on the 1983 BYU football team. We just have so much respect for that particular squad. 84, of course, has been lauded as the greatest season BYU football history, national championship, hard to argue, right? But our discussion was, wow, this 83 team was really talented with Steve Young and Gordon Hudson and Todd Shell and a ton of the guys that carried over to 84, right? Um, Kirk Pendleton leads the country in receiving touchdowns, all these guys. We think 83 is pretty talented. So I'm not going to ask you whether they were the best team in BYU history, but was the 83 team more talented than the 84 team with Steve Young, Gordon Hudson, Todd Shell, and others? Well, I, on the offensive side of the ball, it was an unbelievably talented team. I when, so, so you talk about Kirk Pendleton, who I think was an unbelievably athletic, big wide receiver um, that just caused mismatch problems all over the place. You had Gordon Hudson at tight end, who's one of the best that's ever played at BYU, one of the great receiving tight ends, and who, who likely would have had a long NFL career were it not for a, a pretty ser- serious significant injury his first year with the Seahawks. And then you have Steve Young, who, you know, one of the greatest players of all time playing quarterback, at running back, Casey Tiamalo at fullback, great receiving fullback, um, Eddie Stinnett at tailback, Wayman Hamilton rotating in there. So, uh, and a very good offensive line. So offensively, that team w- was as talented maybe as any BYU's had. There's a couple of Jim McMahon teams. Uh, that 1980 team comes to mind that was also very skilled offensively. So I'd give them the nod on the offensive side because we were younger with the 84 team on the offensive side. But on the defensive side, there was a lot of the same guys that were on that 83 team that were now a year older and a year better. And I'm thinking of Kyle Morrell and Marv Allen linebacker and Leon White and Kirk Govea and Kerry Whittingham. And, you know, that whole group, Mark Allen at cornerback from a starter from 83. I, I just feel like defensively that 84 team could make a play anytime they needed to, and maybe the most talented defensive football team BYU's ever had. So if so if eighty three plays eighty four, who wins? It's a great matchup, but defense wins championships, so I'm gonna go with eighty four. <laughs> nice. It's hard to go against the national championship title, isn't it? I mean it just it's like the hey, old it, Trump card. Any, any team that lines up Kurt Govea on one side and Leon White on the other side of the defense, I'm going with that team. <laughs> and, and I want to ask you more about that. Sorry, Spence, I keep stepping on your toes here. But Blaine, so the 84 team, when, when we look back at how the teams finished in that year, the, the schedule, 83 played a hard schedule. Mm-hmm. Two ranked teams that finish in the top 20, right? When you played UCLA and Air Force on the road, they weren't ranked, but they finished in the top 17. UCLA wins the Rose Bowl by like 36 over a top five Illinois team. You, uh, you know, UCLA was awesome. Air Force ends up in the top 20. 84, Pitt certainly wasn't the same team at the end of the year. That was a huge win at the beginning. And the win percentage of those teams is kind of – it's pretty low. You guys beat who you had to beat. But um, do you feel like 83, I guess, I guess in terms of the strength of schedule, showed something unique in BYU history? In 84, you guys beat who you played. You couldn't control how good they were. Yeah, I, I remember Grant Taft, who's one of the legendary coaches, coached at Baylor, and his comment after the 84 season was, hey, it's hard to win 13 practices in a row anymore, let alone win 13 games. And so there's something to be said for that. I would acknowledge that the 83 team had a, a, a tougher schedule and, and had to face a stiffer competition. All you can do, you know, is go out and win. And and the one thing that 84 team did was against teams that we, they – they beat up that 84 team beat up on some people, you know, really dominated some teams. Um, and, and so 
hey, 83-84, that'd be a great game. That'd be a classic matchup, great offense and great defense. And, and you know, the team that I always like to throw in there, I, I feel like the 96 team is mm. as talented as any team that has ever, you know, laced up the cleats at, at, at BYU. And they had great balance. They had superstars on both sides of the ball. And I'm not so sure, you know, I'm not going to go so far as to say that we couldn't have beaten them, but I, that 96 team may have been a tough, tough matchup for either of that 83, either the 83 or 84 team. Yeah. So it's funny that you bring up the 96 team Blaine, because uh, in my mind, I, I can't help but wonder what if 1996 wins in Seattle at Husky stadium, they beat Washington and they go 15 and 0. Uh, that was a tough year to go undefeated and be in the national championship conversation because there were so many other powers. BYU did finish number five at 14 and one. So had BYU gone undefeated at that what if scenario, what would that have done for the Cougars in 96? There's a good chance they could have been national champs that year, but, but I don't know for BYU to win that national championship in 84, you know, we started watching as we got up into that top 10 and every week, we'd get together. And I know the coaches would like to say, Hey, we just focus on one game at a time. That's a bunch of baloney. You don't focus on one game at a time. Players are looking at the polls every single week going, who needs to lose in front of us this week so we can move up two spots. And miraculously every week, somebody or sometimes two and three teams would lose and we'd move up another one, two or three spots. And so everyone that had to lose lost at the right time for us to move into the position to, to get into that number one spot. So even if that 96 team goes undefeated, they may not win a national championship. I can't remember if there was, there was one or two undefeated other teams that year. Um, so it's hard, but it's certainly, if they went undefeated, you, man, even if they didn't win a national championship, you could, you could make an argument that that's a great, that would be the greatest team of all time. An undefeated ranked certainly in the top three BYU team in 96 with the talent you, I, I would absolutely listen to anybody that wanted to make the case that that would have been the greatest team in BYU history, but they lost the game and, Oh, and go, and guess what? So did the 83 team. And, and now pe people forget the 83 team. We lost the opener down at Baylor and we were ahead and all we had to do was get a stop and we let them throw a bomb right over the top of us defensively and score at the end of the game. Um, I'm trying to remember the wide receiver's name. I think it was Alfred Jenkins that, that caught a touchdown pass on us late in the game, and we lost that game on the road. And then didn't lose again, basically, for like a couple of years after that. Um, so, so if that 83 team wins that first game, then you absolutely can make the case. But there's only one team that didn't lose. And so we – you know, and I was on the 83 team and the 84 team. I got to give the 84 team the nod because of unbelievably great defense, and they didn't lose a game. That certainly helps, yeah. And no one else was undefeated. You got to do it in the right year. Like it just has to line up, and it was magical in '84. We we were talking earlier, Blaine, about the biggest what ifs in BYU history, and there are a lot, man. Um, what in your mind sticks about uh, out about the biggest what if in BYU football history? Well, I mean, what what if they don't sustain uh, the injury? I, it was at a tool, I think, that got hurt up in in Seattle, and I think they lost it. What if he stays healthy in that game, and they have Mealy and Lewis the whole rest of that year, do they go undefeated? That's a, that's a big what if. Um, what if Brandon Davies gets to play the whole rest of the season? That's my big what if. If, if. if things go that way, I believe that's a Final Four basketball team, and who knows once you get into the Final Four, because you have a legit NBA post player 
And, and then you got one of the greatest on the ball defenders in BYU history in Jackson Emery. And then you, and then you, uh, then you have uh, one of the great shooters of all time. I'm convinced that's a final four team and who knows what happens once you get to the final four. So those, those are a couple I think about um, that would launch. I mean, we still, still think great teams about that Jimmer led great things about that Jimmer led team, but what if they keep Brandon through the end of the season? We still say great things about that 96 team, but what if they win that opener? Then we're talking about two of the greatest teams of, of all time period. Um, and those are a couple of big what ifs for me. Blaine Fowler with us on BYU Sports Nation. He's a dual sport analyst uh, for BYU TV. Blaine, we can't help but wonder what's going to happen. I mean, we, we live in the, the time of what ifs uh, when it comes to getting back to live sports. And uh, outside of broadcasting, you work in and around the medical profession to a degree. So in the conversations and the circles that you've been around, What's, what is the feeling about uh, the return of live sports? When's it going to happen? When, when are fans likely going to get into this? Just what are you hearing in those conversations, those medical circles? Well, I, I can tell you that you, you get different stories depending on who you're talking to. And, and the, the real conservative medical folks that are all about um, double-blinded, placebo-controlled crossover-type trial things and and hey, we're not going to have a vaccine for a long, long time, and we need to. You know, I hear that side of it, but I also hear another side of it, even in the medical profession, where they say, "Hey, listen, our 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 facilities, our hospital facilities, are past the point of being overwhelmed now. We need to get back to as much a sense of normal life as we can, by and, and eliminate as many of the risks as we can in doing so." And those folks are the ones that are saying, "Gosh, Blaine, you're in college football. We got to play college football." this year. There's got to be a way that we can do that. And whether that's with a limited number of fans in the stands, um, or even if, you know, even with very few stand, you know, in the, in the stands, they, they've got to play it for the mental health of our nation. I feel like college football and NFL football are part of the fabric of the United States. And, and I feel like it would do the country a lot of good if we can figure out a way to safely do this. I'm of the opinion that I think we're going to figure out a way to do this by the time fall rolls around. I'm hoping for that as well. And we've seen in Korea, they're playing baseball. We even saw over the weekend in Germany, they're playing uh, soccer. So hopefully at some point we can get to that. But Blaine, it feels like we're not going to have fans in the stands for a long time. Like playing is one thing. Fans in the stands feels like another. Yeah. And I don't know. We, we know a lot in where we live, Silicon Slopes, we have a lot of people that can write great, you know, code and programs i mean can, can you not write a some type of a program where a family can reserve a group of seats and then once they reserve that so say my family's got five people in it the system immediately blocks out two seats on each side of them and the row right in front and row right behind them and then then you just fill the stadium in that way where people sit in families and you put a buffer around them and everywhere one wears masks i don't know i was just talking about that with some of our medical guys the other day in one of the hospitals and and certainly there's people smart enough to figure something like that out so we can at least play with some limited fans in there, right? And uh, it would be a shame if we had to play without fans because that's part of what the game is too. And home, home field is a big, big deal. And the environment in a big stadium on a college football Saturday is second to none. It is, it's an event. You get chills when you just walk into the area where the stadium is and as you make your way through the tailgates into the stadium, you can feel the electricity. I would miss that terribly. 
But I'll tell you what, if, if we have to play without fans, um, hey, we'll all be there whatever way we have to And we'll bring it to the fans if we need to, right? And we'll bring it to them. And for the television networks, I would think they would think that'd be okay. Hey, everybody has to watch it on our network. So networks like ESPN would probably think that that was just fine if we had to do it without fans. Well, we're going to get it to people one way or another. And, and I believe that in the end we'll play. I hope that there's some way that we can play with fans. But if not, I believe we'll play and it'll be available on television. Blaine Fowler putting a punctuation on this conversation. It's great to catch up with you, Uncle B. Glad you're doing well. And we look forward to seeing you hopefully in the near future at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Let's do it. Hey, and hopefully sometime soon we can be all back in studio together. Six feet apart, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> we'll make it happen. Thanks, Blaine. All right, guys. Blaine Fowler on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. Fun fact, during the 2017 season, BYU experimented with this kind of attendance um, against San Jose State, I believe it was. Yeah. Oh, boy. Coming up, a 10-part Jimmer Mania documentary. And the best to ever wear number 14 at BYU. Might not be as clear-cut as you think. An intriguing debate on the way. This is BYU Sports Nation. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Listen to BYU Sports Nation on demand by downloading the podcast. Just Google BYU Sports Nation podcast and, hey, subscribe, rate, and review. He is Jerem Jordan. I'm Spencer Linton. Great to have you with us back on the show. You know what time it is. With it. Notre Dame announces changes to its fall academic schedule. It will begin two weeks earlier than normal up to August 1st. No fall break, and they're going to end school before Thanksgiving. Notre Dame also plans to have comprehensive testing, social distancing, and mask requirements for students and faculty. How about this? California and their government looking at the idea of professional sporting events starting back up as early as the first week of June. Spectators would not be allowed to attend. And, of course, there would be modifications and prescriptive conditions. Probably got to wear masks, things like that. But still, could have professional sports back in the state of California by early June. Texas thinking about a similar situation. New York trying to get there. Florida, Las Vegas also nipping at the heels of those ideas. So uh, this is a good thing, but when will fans be allowed is the next big question. Oh, yeah, I'd be shocked if fans were allowed in 2020. Like, that's just my super uneducated guess of that. BYU softball's Taylor Williams is named to the 2020 Cosida Academic All-District Team. She had a 393 GPA. She's an exercise and wellness major. Congrats. It is time for the best to wear it. We've been asking this question every episode of BYU Sports Nation as we count up from zero to 99 and determine who was the best athlete in Provo to, eat, to wear each and every number. Today it is number 14, Jeremy. I think I may know the answer. This jersey number is retired for two individuals. We're picking only one of them. It is Ty Detmer. The other is Gifford Nielsen. Gifford's amazing. If he had played healthy his whole career, maybe he's the guy. But Ty Detmer, of course, BYU's only Heisman winner. 15,000 yards passing, which is still in the top five in NCAA history. 121 touchdowns, 63% completion percentage. He set 59 NCAA records, tied three others, two-time Davey O'Brien winner, two-time consensus All-American. Uh, 29-9-2 as a starter. I didn't know that number until today. Um, First BYU football player to be voted as a captain as a sophomore, drafted by the Packers, was in the NFL for 14 seasons, uh, which a lot of people I don't think know that he, 
he was on squads for that long. He didn't play in every season like that. Essentially, Michael Vick's quarterback coach of sorts is a yeah. third stringer on the Falcons. There's some cool stories that way. Uh, taught Brett Favre what a cover two was. You know, Ty Detmer is the man. Like, certainly his time as an OC is a separate part of his story. But Ty Detmer, the player, is just one of the most beloved guys ever at BYU. Okay, so you said 29-9-2 is a career record, right? Mm-hmm. Did you know that all nine of Ty Detmer's losses as a starting quarterback were against Power 5 teams? Oh, snap. How so he that? never lost to a whack team? Is that what yeah. you're saying? That, I'm looking at his Power 5 start in his career. Three wins, nine losses, one tie. He had to lose a game to a whack school at some point, right? No, never? That's I mean, wow. if you're telling me it's 29-9-2, and two, then – Well, that's our crack research staff. I'm not, I'm not going to say they're infallible. <laughs> I'm not going to say it's impossible for them to mess up. Did Ty Detmer never well, lose? He lost at Hawaii in 90. Okay, so he lost He lost at Hawaii. Then we need to look into that crack research. Memory. 89 he lost at Hawaii. Did he start the game? I would think so in 89 and 90, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we'll fix this in post. <laughs> no, we won't. <laughs> In the meantime, Jerem, there is another prominent number 14 and one that is oft overlooked. Our guy Mel Hutchins. I love Mel Hutchins. Mel Hutchins. We're talking about a guy that was at the top of his game, not just at BYU, but he was a professional. First team All-American in 1950-51. He led BYU to the NIT championship in 51 the dude was selected number two overall in the mm-hmm. 1951 NBA draft. Five-time All-Star. And, and he, he led the league in rebounding. He was second only, um, you know, as a rookie. Wilt Chamberlain, the only two players in NBA history to lead the league in rebounding as a rookie. He held the single-season record for rebounds until 87 when Sir Charles Barkley broke it. I would argue that Mel Hutchins is the most accomplished and greatest NBA player from BYU ever. You could say Danny Ainge because he played in a bunch of finals. He won titles with the Celtics. He played in finals with the Blazers and Suns as well. Um, Certainly uh, uh, notable there. The NBA was very different back then. But Mel Hutchins, you could argue, is the greatest NBA player from BYU ever. He was awesome. Passed away last year. Um, Got to meet Mel one summer doing a story for True Blue. His, his, uh, you know, running mate, Roland Minson, retired jerseys at BYU. That 51 team was the first great team at BYU in basketball. So we don't want to forget about way before us because you and I are a little younger in this conversation. But, listen, there have been some great athletes. We're going to do our best to bring up people from all time in BYU history. Yeah, well-deserved shout-outs to Ty Detmer and Mel Hutchins. Uh, As you pointed out, Jeremy, and I agree with you. The most accomplished professional basketball player to ever come out of BYU. At least that is our collective opinion. Okay, coming up, one of the most impressive feats I had never heard about in BYU history until today. And Mark Pope is a man of the people. He's constantly looking out for others and helping others further their careers, including a famous comic. Details on that coming up this BYU Sports Nation. This segment of BYU Sports Nation, presented by Delta Airlines. Keep climbing. On the latest BYU Sports Nation right now, Kiki Solano hangs out with the MP Soccer Sisters. Who's the most competitive one? Check it out tonight on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. 
Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation, your day-to-day BYU sports play-by-play. I'm Spencer Linton, teamed up with Jerem Jordan. It is time we play Buy, Sell, or Hold, presented by Delta Airlines. Keep climbing. All right, Jerem, I'm going to go first. Number one, buy, sell, or hold a leveled-up Zane Anderson of BYU football being the defensive leader for the Cougars this season. I'm buying it. Uh, Zane's not the most vocal guy, but he on the field can do any and everything that BYU wants him to do, whether it's linebacker, safety, or corner. It sounds like he's dabbling at corner based on an interview he did with us and what we saw in spring ball and what we've heard, right? He could play anywhere. He just needed to be on the field. And as long as he stays healthy, he's going to be a major playmaker. So I'm buying a leveled up Zane Anderson. He said he's leveled up during this time, and I believe him. He's faster, he's stronger, and he's back in where he feels the most comfortable on the field, and that is playing safety. He's even dabbling a little bit in cornerback because he is so athletic. I think Zane Anderson's going to have a breakout senior season, and he's not a guy that went on a mission. So even though he is a fifth-year senior, he's still only 23. So he's relatively young. He's fresh. He's feeling good. He's not dealing with any lingering injuries right now, knock on wood. I'm buying this, and I had him in my top 10. We recently revealed our top 10 returning BYU football players. I had Zane at number seven, and I thought, is that too low? I mean, that, that's how much I think of him even coming off an injury. So I am 100% buying Zane Anderson being the leader, maybe not so much vocally, but definitely with his play on the field. Okay, by seller hold, freshman Chris Jackson, who's a JC guy coming in with a couple years of eligibility, having 15 or more receptions this year. I like his swagger, especially when he's sending out tweets saying, I'm not just a speed receiver, but I can block. Like the guy carries confidence, and if he's going to post that on the internet, he better back it up. And I think that because he says that, he believes he will do that. Uh, 15 plus catches. BYU could use it. They lose a wealth of experience at the wide receiver position. So, yeah, why not? I don't think it's going to be much more than that, but I'll I'll take Chris Jackson for 15-plus catches. Yeah, I think I'll buy it. Um, Granted, you know, no one's ever put anything on the internet that they didn't back up. But, uh, (laughs) no, I I believe that a JC transfer can come in and make an impact. I'm Like, it's harder for, say, a freshman to do that. JC guys, that means that BYU expects them to contribute right away. So, Uh, Yeah, I I would like to see what he can do. He also said he doesn't think it's hard to beat a DB deep. So I like the rhetoric, but what I like more is seeing it. Absolutely. Number three, buy, sell, or hold the Mountain West Conference approach of catering to the conference as a whole and not so much the most important team. This is in reference to San Diego State basketball not wanting additional games, but the Mountain was saying, no, we're going to play a 20-game conference schedule, and we're going to give other teams a chance as well. What do you think of this? You buy, selling, or holding that approach by the MWC? Hold. It just kind of depends. San Diego State has not been this huge power the last couple of years. They didn't win the league this year. Utah State won it, right, in the tournament, but San Diego State was probably going to be a two-seed. They've been really good, don't get me wrong, but it's not like Gonzaga and the WCC. The WCC caters 100% to – what Gonzaga wants to do with men's hoops. And that makes total sense because they're a top five program. There are no top five programs in the Mountain West in basketball or football right now. Boise State's been awesome, but they've not been top five or top uh, 15 awesome the last couple of years. I'm selling this. The Mountain West Conference continues to uh, not create good publicity for themselves, whether it be the whole Boise State fiasco with TV contracts and going back on what they said. And yeah, 
some of the negative feelings of what happened to BYU bleed into this for me for sure. But it's just another sign that there's not really good communication. There's, there's not a good solid understanding at the top of uh, what, what we're trying to do and clear communicating. So I'm selling on the Mountain West Conference. And I'm not saying that the West Coast Conference is better than the Mountain West Conference, but what I am saying is I don't like the communication breakdowns that I'm seeing happen with Mountain West Conference officials, whether it be BYU or San Diego State or Boise State. Okay, buy, sell, or hold. Mark Pope being responsible for the career of comedian Joel McHale? <laughs> I'm buying this. came out on the podcast yesterday. Joel McHale is in there with Ken Jung and one other guy, and, and they're talking about high school basketball. Apparently, Joel McHale played against Mark Pope in the great state of Washington and said, I thought I was pretty I thought I was good. with him on the same team. Yeah, I thought I was pretty good. And then I saw Mark Pope, and he was like a level 10, and I was like a second grader compared to him. So at that <laughs> point, I realized – that's what it takes to be great, to be an NBA player. And Mark was a role player in the NBA at that. So he said, yeah, I need to start telling more jokes rather than playing basketball. So, yeah, I'm, I'm buying that. It's a great story. I'm buying that. That's awesome. And the connection that Mark Pope has all over the place that we're seeing as we get to know him more are just wild, right? Just crazy. Our guy Seth Davis, big-time college basketball insider for CBS, was – replying on Twitter to, hey, what's the next ESPN 10-part documentary series you want to see? He replied with one word, Jerem, Jimmer. Are you buy, buying, selling, or holding the next 10-part documentary by ESPN being Jimmer Mania? Uh, in desire, it's buy. In reality, it's uh, sell because that didn't happen. But 10 parts is way exhaustive, right? That'd be awesome. I think that there could be a – well, there was a Jimmer doc. Amazing by John Howe, the Canadian. We love him. Um, Canadian media is, is his company. I love it. I, I don't see 10 parts coming out of that, but that's the most interesting story to me in BYU history is not only Jimmer mania, but the Brandon Davies element and kind of what happened with Jimmer post-career. There's been a Jimmer doc about his career at BYU. There's also been a Jimmer doc about him in China. So if you cobbled all these stories together, and I really do want to dive into the Brandon Davies story eventually, I think that could be pretty interesting. All right. Jimmer mania, 10 parts. I think there is enough on Jimmer out there that I don't need a 10 part doc right now. Now, if you ask me that question in like five or 10 years when his professional careers may be over, then my opinion might be a little bit different, but I'm, I'm a hold right now because I, I think we've got enough, especially within our little BYU centric area. We we've been given enough to know what's happening with Jimmer, but in 10 years. Yeah. Why not? Maybe, maybe it's on BYU TV and maybe you're hosting it, Jerem. If it's a documentary, uh, perhaps there's no host, you know? It's unnarrated. Let's go. <laughs> okay, coming up, I just discovered my new best friend. Oh, you have a new best friend? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm interested to hear that. And two games, two wins in one day, one pitcher. Every pitch of a double header from the same arm, that story next on BYU Sports Nation. It's insane. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation, the show available anytime on demand via the BYU TV and BYU radio apps. And it's on demand. Just Google BYU Sports Nation podcast. That takes us to our elite voice of the day presented by Sundance Mountain Resort. It comes from at Patton 4 tweeting in, thanks for being live again this week. You know what, Patton 4 you are welcome. Absolutely. I'm happy to do it. Today's rise and shout-outs. Mine goes to Matt Harms, the Purdue grad transfer on, in men's hoops. BYU basketball 
posted uh, some of his favorite things, staying inside with Matt Harms. Favorite movie, Lord of the Rings. Favorite superhero, Black Panther. Nickname, Matty Ice. Biggest for spiders. Hidden talent. I'm great at organizing, if that counts. I think I just met my new best friend. What's the number one most important thing on that list, though? Probably favorite movie. Although, Lord of the Rings is three movies. Okay, so that's the series. You're, you're giving him the benefit of the doubt there. He likes the whole series. Yeah, listen, I, I'm just happy as a BYU. I, I'm not going <laughs> to complain. You and Matty Ice, 7-3, rolling in that conversion. We have a lot in common that way. On University <laughs> Avenue. My rise and shout-out goes to former BYU baseball player Peter Kendrick, who back in 1981, this is not a joke, threw 257 pitches in one day. He threw both games of a back-to-back doubleheader against sixth-ranked Hawaii. BYU won both of those games, and in so doing, won the WAC championship. 257 pitches from one guy in a doubleheader. How did his arm fall off? That's one of the most unbelievable things I've heard in my life. Unbelievable. Peter, I'd never heard of this until Uh, this week. That's crazy. And guess what? Our stat of the day, 257. Because I don't think anybody's ever going to top that. I hope he's okay. Seriously. Like, is his arm still sore now? I mean, (laughs) that is unbelievable. 40 years later, is your arm still sore? Unbelievable. Peter Kendrick. And it's not like he beat like a like a bad team. He beat six Frank Hawaii to win the title. Twice. And they had to win two, I bet, right? Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Crazy stuff. Our thanks to today's guest, Blaine Fowler, who maybe saw Peter Kendrick pitch for BYU. Who knows? He was a, he was a freshman of BYU that year. Sorry to Dennis Bitter ran out of time. Conversation continues 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Use the hashtag BYU. For Jerem Jordan, I am Spencer Linton, and speaking of BYU baseball, a shout-out to Glenn Tuckett. We'll see you tomorrow on BYU Sports Station. For the time being, go Cougs. And ice that shoulder, Peter. Sheesh.